What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is the first installment of the Locked On Blazers countdown to tip-off. We're dedicating a full episode to every player on the roster and giving you a brief but thorough look at what they'll bring to the Trail Blazers this season. We'll look at how they performed last season. We will explore the best and worst case scenarios for the upcoming year and finish the episode with a discussion of expectations and likely role on this season's squad. This is our first installment of the countdown. We're going to run through all currently 13 and eventually 14 by the time we finish up this exercise. We're going to run through everybody on the roster, so make sure you are checking your feeds over the next couple weeks as we roll in the training camp with player profiles of every single trailblazer. Today, we're talking all things Beast in our Yusuf Nurkic deep dive, so let's start with Nurk's 2021 season. Yusuf Nurkic averaged 11.5 points, 9.0 rebounds, 3.4 assists, 1 steal, 1.1 blocks in 23.8 minutes last season. He appeared in 37 games, all starts, and shot a career best 51.4% from the floor, 40% from the three-point line, that's 12 of 30, and shot 61% from the free-throw line, a shade below, or a little bit below, his career average of 66.8. Nurk started slow. Coming into camp on the heels of a family tragedy, reportedly out of basketball shape, and it showed in his early performance in which he averaged 9.6 points and 7.7 rebounds to go with 2.8 assists, shooting below 50%, 48.5% from the field in the opening 12 games of the season. Then during that 12th game, a home loss to the Indiana Pacers, Nurk sustained a fractured right wrist, which he injured swiping down on Pacers big man Miles Turner early in the second half. Nurk went to the locker room with about just over nine minutes to go in the third quarter, and that injury would actually keep him out of action for an extended period of time. He missed games starting on January 14th and didn't return until March 26th, a return that was delayed by a right calf injury that flared up in practice in early March. As Nurk was ramping back up to play basketball, he sustained a calf injury that, at least according to the Blazers' official injury report, delayed his return by about an extra 10 days. And when Nurk returned from those injuries, the, both the fractured wrist and then the calf strain, he looked like he was still a little bit out of sorts and took a while to get going again. He averaged 8.8 points and 7.2 rebounds, shot just 46.1% from the floor, did average 3.8 assists, though, started passing the ball a little better in 22 minutes per game in those first 11 games he played after returning from the wrist and calf injuries. He just didn't look good. He just, he just still hadn't found his rhythm. But then, with the Blazers' season on the line, starting April 23rd with a home meeting, the first of two consecutive home games against the Memphis Grizzlies, Nurk found that rhythm and closed the season strong, averaging 15.1 points, shooting 55.8% from the floor, grabbing 11.5 rebounds, dishing out 3.6 assists. And, shocking, and adding another 1.1 steals and 1.3 blocks in 25.5 minutes over the final 14 games of the season. When the Blazers needed him, Nurk was fantastic. He played perhaps, he played certainly some of the best basketball of his career when the, when the Blazers 
playoff chances, playoff hopes were on the line. You know, they looked like they were going to be out of it and maybe miss the, uh, maybe end up in the play-in tournaments and, and be in all in a whole world of trouble facing off against LeBron James or or uh, Steph Curry in the play-in tournament. And instead, Nurk rallied over the final few weeks of the season. He was great and helped push the Blazers out of the above the play-in line, above out of the play-in tournaments and into the sixth seed in the West. The Blazers need them, and the Bosnian Beast delivered. And after a really slow start, those final 14 games were were a, was a welcomed uh, change of pace after a somewhat slow start to the season for Nurk, or just a straight-up slow start to the season. We don't need to sugarcoat that one. In the playoffs, the up-and-down Nurkic journey continued, only in an extremely condensed two-week run of highs and lows, as opposed to the stretched-out regular season highs and lows we had become accustomed to with Mr. Nurkic. But Nurk had 16-12 and 12 in Game 1. He was really good, and the Blazers took a, took a 1-0 lead. And then he fouled out in back-to-back games in Games 2 and 3 as the Blazers fell behind. Then, bounced back with an absolutely dominant, best player on the floor type performance in Game 4, where he had 17 and 6 boards in 3 quarters. He was the best player on the court in a playoff game, dominating uh, Nikola Jokic, playing better than Damian Lord, who kind of had a a quiet stinker in that game. Nurk was fantastic, and he was fantastic on both ends. Didn't play the fourth quarter because the Blazers were up by 30, because he was so darn good. And then in Game 5... Nurk did finish with 13-11, a double-double if you're into uh, the, the symmetry of double digits, but he fouled out in 24 minutes and missed the second overtime period as the Blazers were trying to furiously come back. In Game 6 against the Nuggets, which turned out to be the final game of the year, the, the Game 6 of the first round series against Denver, Nurk had 13-7, and but he also turned the ball over five times and committed five fouls a whole bunch in a row in the third quarter when the game kind of got away from the Blazers as Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets pulled away. And then he kind of put a punctuation point. I don't know if it's an exclamation point or just a a firm period, but he put put a clear punctuation point on his season when his post-game press conference, he was visibly and verbally frustrated with the state of the team, read coach Terry Stotts, and in his post-game press conference, he name-dropped his agent and questioned his future with the team. It was the full Nurk experience. He opened the playoffs with a fantastic performance. He dotted a couple in there where he fouled out and was just, the Blazers desperately needed him to be there and he couldn't quite show up. Then he shows up and is fantastic. And then he kind of limps out quietly as the season and and then threw threw a small public fit. Not saying that he wasn't, didn't have reason to be frustrated like with, you know, wanting a larger offensive role or with how he was used or all these things. Uh, Terry Stotts would lose his job a few days later. Uh, the front office in some ways agreed with Yusuf Nurkic's assessment, but the the playoffs on the heels of this year was sort of the perfect microcosm of the, of the full Nurk experience. The highs are really high, the lows are really low, and can be accompanied by some maybe uh, public displays of frustration. So that was Nurk's 2020-2021 season. When we come back in the second segment, I want to talk about best case and worst case scenario for Nurk in this upcoming year, 21-22. But before we get there, let's talk about sweat block wipes. Sweat block is st- stronger and more effective than your clinical antiperspirant. And you simply take one of these wipes, apply it the night before you're going to bed. 
rest easy, wake up the next morning, go about your day, take a shower, wear what you want to wear with confidence. So much confidence that Sweatblock has given you the dry shirt guarantee. If Sweatblock doesn't keep you dry, you get your money back. Look, if you are someone who's a heavy perspirer, this could be a solution for you. And in fact, it's a solution for a lot of folks already. Right now, Sweatblock wipes are currently the number one product in the Amazon.com anti-perspirant category. This Sweatblock has been a bestseller on Amazon for the past 10 years. And right now, it's the top of the top, top of the category. There's over 13,000 reviews over on Amazon. So if you want to hear from real customers who have used this product, you can head on over to that website Check out what they have to say. And when you're ready to purchase, make sure you go to sweatblock.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON. You will get 20% off your order. Like I said, this product's also available on Amazon and at your local CVS. Does this sound familiar? You got one device that lets you catch the game, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings you live and on-demand favorites to you like never before so you can watch your favorite sports and movies and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part? There's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. All right. We're talking all things Yusuf Nurkic today and our player profiles, the countdown to tip-off, our, our season previews, looking at every player in the Blazers roster. We looked back at Yusuf Nurkic's 2020-21 season in the first segment. Now let's look ahead to the best case and worst case scenarios for this upcoming year. These are supposed to be the two sort of two sides of the spectrum obviously best and worst you get it but typically guys are going to fall in between their best case and worst case scenarios but we're just using them we're using these to look at like if everything goes right what does it look like if, if things go wrong what does it look like and and to be to be clear these are without injury and within reason everyone's best case scenario is they win mvp and then finals mvp right but we want these to be reasonable best case scenarios and worst case scenarios that have to do with on-court performance not health so let's get into it the best case scenario for yusuf nurkic is this is the year it all clicks he cleans up his finishing to become simply a league average finisher in the paint and continues his trajectory of the past year setting another career high in field goal percentage true shooting percentage, effective field goal percentage, all of his efficiency ticks up a notch. The best case scenario is that with a new system and a new coaching staff guiding him, Nurk becomes even more involved as a playmaker, opening things up for the dangerous weapons around him in that starting lineup as the playmaking fulcrum that takes an already very good offense to new heights. The best case for Yusuf Nurkic this season is that he is consistent with his play and his condition in a way that allows or even demands that he plays a career high in minutes per game, shattering his previously non his previous non-bubble high of 27.4 minutes per game. He becomes a that dependable 30 plus minute a night performer. The best case is that Nurkic continues to anchor the Blazers' defense and that he matches his rim protection potential with some occasional nifty pick-and-roll containment, allowing him to be a force slightly further away from the rim and pushing Portland's defensive ceiling, allowing the team to play several different schemes with the big fella. 
the most impactful defender excelling in a variety of roles depending on the matchup. The best case is that come next July, Yusuf Nurkic and his clutch sports team are talking about a big pay raise for the Bosnian Beast and that he enters free agency on the heels of his best season of his career, hitting the open market at 27 with such momentum that the Blazers never blink and are willing to pay whatever it takes to retain a franchise pillar. The worst-case scenario for Yusuf Nurkic is that it's more the same. The dominance still comes in fits and starts, and he remains a massive, skilled what-if. The inconsistencies are still there. The lack of finishing prowess continues to haunt an otherwise intriguing offensive weapon, and one of the league's worst Layup makers around the rim continues to smoke those layups and shoe dunks for those puzzling flip shots. The worst case scenario for Yusuf Nurkic is that he isn't empowered by the new coaching staff and that the man who was frustrated with his offensive role last season doesn't earn a larger share of the offense and remains moody and mercurial. More Bosnian bummer than Bosnian beast. The worst case scenario is that on many nights, it makes more sense for the Blazers to play crunch time with small ball lineups, ditching Nurk for more versatility on defense and more reliable firepower on offense. The worst case scenario is that at the trade deadline, Nurk is on an expiring deal and there's reasonable conversations to be had about Portland moving on from their center, who so drastically changed the direction of the franchise at that same deadline five years prior. There is no clutch sports brink truck. Instead, there's a Slavic sale. The worst case scenario is that Nurk, who has been challenged by hard fluctuations between highs and lows, lands more on the low side, and this season is his last in Portland one way or another. As I mentioned at the top of this segment, it's better to think about the best and worst case scenarios as the poles, as like the the sort of like polarity outcomes, right? Like not not that there, it's either one or the other black and white, is that it is that these are these are the sort of far ends of the spectrum and that most folks land in the middle. And what Nurk's best case and worst case scenario kind of highlights is that maybe more than any other player on the roster, He swings to the ends of these poles. When Nurk is good, he is fantastic. When Nurk is bad, he is extremely frustrating. And not just to us viewers, but his teammates. Like, you can watch the body language from uh, Damien Lamont, Ollie Lillard. When Nurk is is struggling... Dame no longer hides that frustration. And more more than ever last season, there were moments when you could see Dame be frustrated with Nurk. I think... So much of the sort of uh, best case scenario with Nurk isn't a skill thing. It's a consistency thing. It's it's can he be the player he was for the final 14 games of the regular season last year for a long stretch, for, you know, 50 games, 60 games, 70 games, whatever it might be. And I think the worst case scenario kind of mirrors that same deal. Like it, Nurk doesn't, ha- it's not like Nurk needs to add specific skills. We'll talk about that more in the third segment. But if Nurk just continues to be inconsistent, if he continues to be this conundrum, moody and mercurial, it's it's it is 
it is easier for him to end up more towards the worst case scenario because it's not about skill or ability. It's sometimes just about fitness and focus. If, if Nurk can sort of lock in and be the best version of himself for sustained periods, if he's not, then that pendulum swings to the other side. Like I said, most, most everyone on here, the idea of me painting the best case and worst case scenarios is that folks land in the middle. I expect Nurk to land somewhere in the middle, but if he tends towards one side, that will paint so much of what happens for the Blazers. What I want to do to close out the show and what we're going to do in all these player capsules is after we've gone, you know, season in review and best case and worst case scenario, I want to talk about reasonable role and role and reasonable expectations for the, this upcoming season. So that's what we'll do in the third segment. What's Nurk going to look like and what are our reasonable expectations for what Nurk will produce in his fifth season with the Portland Trailblazers? But before we do that, I want to tell y'all about Sleeper. In 2018, the fantasy sports experts at Sleeper realized that fantasy basketball was broken. Games were being won and lost based on whose players had more scheduled games that week. It made no sense and required very little strategy. So in 2020, Sleeper released a brand new way of playing fantasy basketball. It's called Game Pick, and it's only available on Sleeper. In Game Pick, owners pick a single game per week for each starter to count. And that was the only one that counts toward their team's total score, ensuring an even number of games are played between opponents. The days of losing because your opponent's players simply had more scheduled games to play in that week are over. The days of mindless daily busy work are over. The days of giving up halfway through the season because of that busy work are also over. In game picks, you pick one game per week for each player based on player matchups, home versus away, opponent's defensive rating, pace of play, and more. All that adds up to more strategy and less busy work. Whether you are a pr- prefer redraft, keeper, or dynasty, Game Picks has you covered. Sleeper cracked the fantasy basketball code. If you play Sleeper fantasy football, if you prefer building out weekly strategy versus daily busy work, you're going to love Game Picks. So download the Sleeper app and start a league with your friends today. You will not be disappointed. Today's show is also brought to you by Theragun. Don't let the stress of daily life weigh on your body, whether you're an elite athlete or someone like me just trying to make it through the day tension-free. Theragun can help you. Theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated of depth, speed, and power. And it's quiet as an electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good. It gets to the source of pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. Whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out, an injury, or just the stresses of everyday life, there is no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. Also, the Theragun is just cool. The OLED screen and design makes you feel like you're holding something from the future. Just go to their site and check it out. Plus, their app learns from your behaviors, and suggests guided routines. Theragun is trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, and Maria Sharapova, plus hundreds of thousands of customers. So try Theragun for 30 days, starting at only $199. Go to therabody.com slash locked on right now. Get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's therabody.com slash locked on. therabody.com slash locked on. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listening to Locked on Blazers. We talked about Yusuf Nurkic 2021 season. We talked about the best case and worst case scenarios. Now let's talk about 
our expectations and role for NERC this season. Like I said in the second segment, the best case, worst case scenarios are like, should be thought of as like poles, right? Like they are the, they are the opposite ends of the spectrum. And, and like typically folks land in the middle. So instead of like figuring out what that middle is, let's talk about like our reasonable expectations for NERC. First of all, his role is carved out. This isn't as tricky as it will be for other guys on the roster who we kind of have to figure out where they might fit. Yusuf Nurkic is going to start at center. <laughs> He's going to be penciled in for... 25 plus minutes a night. But the plus, I think, is where the sort of expectations get a little dicey. In the the most use of Nurkic I've ever played for the Portland Trailblazers is about 27 minutes per game. That's that's when he was fully healthy and, and playing regularly and starting and um and and playing in the 2017 or 2018, 2019 season before he got hurt, 27 minutes a game. In the bubble bubble year when he only played eight years in the bubble and the Blazers were running a really um uh, a tighter rotation. He played more minutes, like, but it's eight games, small sample size, no travel, all these things. So well, the the most he's really ever played in a season where he's contributed and it's been a, a long stretch is that 27 minutes a night. And I think the expectations are that Nurk needs to play 28 plus minutes a night. Pushing 30 makes Nurk a really special player. Like if he can be effective and play 30 minutes a night, he's going to be a really special player and the Blazers are going to be really good. But that might be Honestly, that just might be asking more than he more than he is capable of. And I think the Blazers can still be really good if Nurk is really good in 28 minutes a night, but it can't be 26. Like he, he needs to be able to play seven minute spurts. Like he needs to be able to play in, in seven minutes per quarter, play more than half of each quarter and be effective. And he needs to be on the court at the end of games and be effective. Like he, the minutes matter for Nurk more than maybe any other player on the roster. Uh, like some, maybe in the other direction, they matter for a guy like Damian Lillard, who instead of playing 37 minutes, you'd rather him play 32 if you could get him down there. Right. But for Nurk, I'd say it's in the other direction. If he can only, if he's only capable, whether it's conditioning or foul trouble or matchups to play, you know, 26 27 a night I think the Blazers are worse I think that 28 minute mark is incredibly crucial for Nurk a under Chauncey Billups who has talked openly about getting Nurk more involved and getting more out of him this season if if Chauncey can not only do that but like get more of Nurk this season that's you know that is staying on the court and playing playing longer more effective shifts Without the fouling, without um, some of the, he'll kind of get caught in little turnover bugs. I believe, I believe a one listener once called it foul momentum. Is when Nurk commits a foul, he'll commit a couple more because he just he just gets rolling downhill with bad decision making. But if 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 Chauncey can not only get more out of Nurk as a playmaker and as a scorer, then I think that. Um, I think that has to follow that he'll play more minutes and be effective in those minutes. And to me, that number is incredibly crucial for Yusuf Nurkic. I also think Nurk is going to shoot a handful more threes this year. I don't think it would be a good idea for him to launch three-pointers. And I know every year we've kind of gotten caught in this, like, will Nurk shoot threes? You know, he he shot 30 in 37 games last year. But I expect about one a game this year. I'm going to predict in this space that Nurk will shoot 73-pointers this season, attempt 73-pointers this season. So, uh... I don't think floor spacing is really crucial to Nurk's development. I think finishing around the rim, whereby some finishing metrics, including those by B-Ball Impact that I've shared with you in the space before, rate Nurk as one of the worst finishers in the league. In terms of uh, volume and quality of looks he generates, he ranks near the near the bottom of the league. Just in terms of uh, guys who play regular minutes and get up a bunch of attempts inside the restricted area, Nurk is in the bottom the, the bottom portion, bottom quarter of the league. Um, there, by whatever measurement, he is a well he's a well below average finisher to me 
the layups are more important than the three-pointers. But to maybe, to potentially open up more of what this offense can be, I expect Nurk to shoot threes with a little, like, a little more regularity. I don't expect him to launch. In fact, if he takes two a night, I think it's bad news. I think you want him closer to the rim to rebound. Um, you want him closer to the rim to be a threat on the baseline when guys drive in the, in the dunker spot, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But one three a game, I think, is a reasonable expectation for Nurk, and a little better finishing is kind of what takes him to that next level, as I mentioned in the best case and worst case scenario. So the role and expectations for Nurk are that he gets more touches on offense because Chauncey Billups wants to use him more, whether that is a high post passer or a low post kind of fulcrum. Uh, the way the think of the way the Warriors use Draymond Green, where they throw it into him in the post, but he doesn't try to score. They run split cuts and actions off of that and use the post as a way to leverage passing ability because it kind of changes the um, the geometry of where the ball is and where, and how people can can move off of that space. I want to see Nurk as a as a better playmaker. I want to see Nurk operating at the high post. I want to see Nurk operating at the elbows. I want to see Nurk as a low block passer. Make a handful more layups. Be that offensive fulcrum. And I think even if even if just he is about the same skill set, right? This sort of frustrating skill set. I think utilizing him in a handful more different spots. Uh, most of his playmaking last year came at the top of the key, dribble handoff stuff. But using him as a playmaker in in you know three to four different spots, a little more variety than we saw last year. I think that really changes things for Nurk. Like my expectations are just a, a, a slightly, you know, maybe the numbers don't change, but just a more playmaking uh, responsibility under Chauncey Billups. This is a huge year for Nurk. He enters free agency this summer, as I mentioned in the second segment. He has, you know, he's 27 years old. This is probably his last chance to get a big old contract. And that matters. Like that, this is, you have a small window in the league to be super, super productive. Uh, you have, certainly have a small window in the league if you're a center to get, to get paid a whole bunch of money. This is a chance in a contract year for Nurk to prove to either the Portland Trailblazers or whoever his next team might be that he's worth a whole bunch of money. Last time he was in a contract year, he had a down season and he ended up taking what turns out to be a pretty team-friendly deal for the Blazers. Four for 48, making a flat 12 million a season. And then this year was non-guaranteed. It's, you know, it's guaranteed now. He's making his money, et cetera, et cetera. But this, this is Nurk's last chance to play himself into a big contract, a massive year coming up. And I think with a different coaching staff and, and a sort of a, a, a different ask on offense and a little larger role in terms of touching the ball more and getting, getting more opportunity to be involved with, with that offense, even if it doesn't mean shot attempts or an increased assist, just like just straight up more touches and more responsibility, I think Nurk is in a direction that could be a very, very good season. So much of what this is going to be about is consistency. We know what Nurt can be like at his best. The question is, can he be at his best for longer? That is going to do it for this, our first in our series of player previews. I got another one coming later this week. So be sure to check your feeds if you want to learn all about Nazir Little. A look back at his last season and look ahead to what's next for the Blazers forward wing. What position do we think Nazir Little plays in his third season in Portland? We're going to keep writing these player capsules, so if you enjoy them, why not tell your friends about them? Tell them they can find this podcast wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked on Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.